Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. I'm the guy who knows nothing about anime, Malcolm Cloud. And uh, this is a solo or duo episode. It's like a guest list episode. It's bringing it back to like the early days of the pod. Uh, that's how we're doing it. And we're talking about this movie, Sword of the Stranger. Let's just let's get into it. It's so weird without a guest. But, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. You can't always get anyone. No, so I like I like this like bringing it back to like the roots and you know just you know talking. You you introducing me to a movie and we're just talking about it. Exactly, but I'm kind of bummed because this movie I was like shit. I wish somebody else watched this because I think this is an underrated movie. Um, sort of the stranger, folks. Malcolm, uh, before we get into the history segment, how do you feel about this? Quick hits. Enjoyed it. I mean, this is a pretty solid movie. Uh, really, um, it really reminded me a lot of Lone Wolf and Cub. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly that. It's that. I mean, it's exactly that story. <laughs> like, it's like you know, almost not necessarily beat for beat, but it's like it hits all the like hallmarks of that. You know, you've got the no-name lead, you've got a boy or, or like a child. In this case, a boy. You know, who's like on the run from like a mysterious group that's got ill intentions towards him and. I don't know. I was just into it. Like it's it's not something that like I feel like I'm not gonna like really remember this movie in like a year from now. But it was an enjoyable ride while I watched it. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie I've always seen on like top ten anime movie lists or like underrated animes that you need to watch, and I can see why. And it's and even my own journey just watching this movie was kind of interesting. Um, but before that, let's just quickly talk about uh, the writer and director of these films. So. The director was Masahiro Ando, and he actually worked on Cowboy Bebop the movie. Hmm. So he was he was one of the animation directors for that. He's worked on a fuck ton of things. I mean, uh, he worked on Neon Genesis Evangelion, which we're inevitably uh, covering at some point. Uh, he he worked on Super Crooks, which just came out recently. Uh, I'm not going to list his entire resume. We'd be here for a while, but he he's been working in the anime industry for you know uh, more than a couple decades. So. You know, but this was uh, his main uh, direct. This was his directorial debut um, for a feature, at least. So, I mean, that's the thing. This movie is a simple concept. It's a simple, clear concept, and it just kind of flexes those animation skills. And let's talk about the writer of this, because the writer, the writer is actually best known for um, a show that, in the continuity of this show, we'll have covered, but we haven't recorded that episode yet. <laughs> So the writer of this was Fumihiko Takayama. He directed uh, the Gundam OVA, Mobile Suit Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket. That's what he's best known for, and I actually got a bunch of notes for uh, his work on that. But uh, no, there's not a lot of interviews um, with this movie. I wish I could have had a more intensive history segment, but honestly, there's not a lot about this development of this film. But I don't know. I think that kind of says something about this movie. This movie is just a solid, enjoyable, you know, one-off, you know, hundred hundred minute uh, film. Like, you know, there, there's things we cover on the show that are super crazy or, or you know, have renowned. But this is just like a fun ass samurai adventure movie. I almost, you know, you almost want to say that we use the word like generic. Like, oh, it's a generic movie, but it's not. Yeah. It's just like everything it does, it does really well. It doesn't elevate anything, and it doesn't take like overly big risks. Like, there's nothing in here where I'm just like, wow, they really went for it. You know, like in past things we've watched here, it's just like, yeah, everything like makes sense. You like the characters, you know, the motives are very clear. The story's got like a, you know, a good arc. 
Uh, and it's just like kind of leaves you satisfied at the end. It's like a good, like it's like, it's like just like a good like meal. Like you know, you go to a restaurant and you just get the usual, and you're like always satisfied with the usual. Like that's what this is. It's just like ah, it's just like a, it's just like a usual meal. <laughs> is, yeah, it's the usual. But again, it's well done. You enjoy it. Uh, I want to get into though the the thing that is uh, definitely that stands out to me though the action scenes because the action scenes in this movie fucking rip. Like, holy crap. They're good. You can tell, like, that's basically, like, they got the green light because they're like, hey, just make these, like, action scenes great. <laughs> and they're like, we, we got it, boss. <laughs> like, we got it. Um, yeah, because I, you know, this movie, it came out in, like, 2007. I was, um, the initial scenes, like, not even, like, the, the first minute or two that doesn't have action. I was like, okay, this movie kind of looks fine. It, it still kind of looks like TV. And then you get to the first big action set piece, and uh, holy shit, it's just body parts flying. Oh, the gore here surprised me. I gotta say, like, yeah. I'm, a, I, I, I'm a big horror movie fan, so I'm like, gore doesn't really like, you know, make me super flinch. Especially in animated stuff, I'm never like, oh god. There's certain things that do definitely, but like nothing here. But yeah, like here when they like show the violence, like the violence is shown. Like they're not hiding it. There's no like quick cuts away. It's just like, oh. Fingers are missing, you know, a dog like goes for the throat and basically rips the guy's throat out at like in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> I was game. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This movie does not fuck around. So we get this kind of initial opening where this young boy uh, named Kotaro, he's escaping these pursuers and he has this incredibly cute dog named uh, Toby Maru. And uh, if you've been paying attention, listeners, I have a cat named Toby. And uh, the dog's coloring is also somewhat similar to my cat. So Did you name was... the cat after this dog? No, because uh, the, the cat was named by my sister after Tobias from Arrested Development. Oh, we were... okay. Tobias was going to be his uh, full name, but we ended up just calling him Toby the entire time. That's the origin of my cat Toby's name. But, you know, Toby Maru is also a very nice name. But, you know, of course I spelled it like Toby in my notes. So, you know, this young boy and his dog, they're escaping these pursuers. And then uh, we see these pursuers who are a group of Ming Chinese warriors. And the, the main heavy of this gang, Lo Lang, he, he gives us some incredible action scenes, as we just said, because Lo Lang does not fuck around. There's a moment uh, that at the beginning of, like, you know, the big set piece where, you know, a dude gets fucked up by arrows and Lo Lang just, like, takes the dude's corpse and uses it as a human shield. That was that was actually a sick uh, sequence. I was like, I wasn't expecting that, like, because obviously, like, yeah, one of the opening scenes is that you know the Ming uh, Chinese warriors are like surrounded by archers and like they're having you know all these arrows are going into everyone, and yeah, one guy yeah. is killed and just becomes a you know an arrow sponge. Like he's just like getting all the arrows, protecting Lo Lang, who, by the way, we should note is uh, actually. Uh, a Western uh, like swordsman expert. Like he's from the West. In okay. this case, he's yeah, like, he's white. And like this case, you know, the implication is he's like from somewhere in uh, Europe. I suspect it's like, he's probably British. Like that's wow. kind of where I'm thinking, but yeah, he's, they kind of make a very good point of like, he's not from here. <laughs> like he's not from the East. As much as I love Canadian voiceover icon Scott McNeil, who voices Lo Lang in the dub, if he was supposed to be European, um, they should not have had him use an American-Canadian accent. Well, the thing, yeah, that's the thing that, like, they keep being, like, he's from the West. And yet, like, I look at, like, the per period this, uh, this like, moves supposed to take place in, which is the 
uh, uh, Sangoku period. I probably butchered that. And that like period come, goes from like 1467 to 1615, which, uh, if you know your history, means that like the West, aka like North America, had not been established at that point. Like America was not a country, or like wasn't like what it is. And like same with like Canada. Like that just ha- doesn't exist yet. So yeah, it is a weird choice to like have a character who probably should be like speaking in a British accent, not considering there's like animes uh, that we've watched, like TV shows and movies where like people are putting on like British accents for like honestly no apparent reason. <laughs> so, so like that was the one thing where I was like, okay, I'm not sure what's going on in the dub, like what they think it is, but you know, I do like that at least they are, you know. Also, the, the the movie in terms of scripting is forthright and being like, no, 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 this guy is a white guy. <laughs> like he's yeah. he's actually white. That th- I guess that confused me. That I know they mentioned it, but it confused me because again, if a character is using a regular English accent, especially in this time period, I just assume that you know they're of the country. I don't know. It confused. I'm a dumb dumb. I should have picked no, up. No, I mean they don't tell you in this movie when this is a set exactly, except for like I'm kind of relying on the the wikipedia page early just to like assume that's the period that's what it's at least says yeah it kind of aligns with a lot of stuff although there's like a you know there's like early gun that's in the movie as well so i'm just like if this movie was set in like you know 1780 then maybe it makes more sense but then that you know that period of time is over i don't know maybe i maybe i feel like i'm just overthinking this to be honest semantics um it's semantics I think they should have used a British accent, even though um, Scott McNeil has an incredible voice and it, it does suit the character just as, you know, the voice of a heavy, you know? Yeah, he does a good job. Like, I'm, you know, I don't think uh, anyone should be complaining about his work here. Like, it's just like, no, he, he sounds good. It like makes a ton of sense, you know, but I, I just don't know if that was the perfect or the right choice made by whoever the dub team was. Oh, this, the is, this, is, the this is this is a Canadian dub. Um, I was actually taught by one of the teachers at On the Mic Training. Yeah, that's On the Mic. <laughs> yeah, Ida Dory uh, was voiced by Brian Dobson, who is uh, one of my voiceover instructors. So, damn, shit, I'm definitely gonna have to rewatch this movie with him in mind. He did a very good job. Yeah. So, yeah, this was <laughs> this was, this was done. I'm guessing this was done by Ocean Studios because they handle a lot of the. Uh, you the would kid- be correct. You would be correct. Oh, <laughs> sweet um so yeah let's get into this we have this big action set piece that kind of sets the stage for what to expect of this movie and uh then we cut back to uh kotaro he's at this kind of burnt out house where he meets uh the man with no name god to- toby the dog toby maru has so many good moments in these like 10 minutes because you know he offer he offers no name his food which just you know warmed my heart the the dog animation and we've talked about cowboy bebop of course um and ein was a very good doggo but i think this movie is the best use of a of a doggo i believe yeah this one is like he's actually a dog right like whereas like obviously ein is a data dog uh data dog if you will yeah here toby as i'm just gonna refer to him here on out you know yeah is a is a loyal companion and like i initially thought like toby gets uh injured at the very start of the movie like after he's like protecting uh the kid uh i was like oh my god they actually killed the dog off like immediately and i was like thank god they didn't (laughs) it turns out he was healed kind of back to health 
Yeah, I was worried too. I was like, oh my God, I, I cannot take this. Um, and when, when he does get injured, it's when he's um, catching a knife that's thrown at a no-name by one of the Ming warriors. So again, Toby is just like fucking killing it. Catch, he's catching knives. He's slashing dudes' throats. You know, the, the animation team has fun, you know, showing Toby as a cute dog, but also being like, no, this dog will fucking kill you. Yeah, like this dog, like, you know, is the most loyal companion. Like, yeah, of all like the animals we've covered or seen in the, uh, in the stuff we've covered on this podcast. Yeah, I think he, without a doubt, the best one. Like he's the most competent dog as well. Well, and again, his poisoning also sets the stage for the plot because when he gets poisoned, um, Kotaro tells, um, he asks No Name how, if he can, you know, um, get Toby um, to be healed or whatever. And then, you know, uh, No Name basically says, you know, he's going to have to get medicine from a doctor. And then Kotaro offers him this, this green gem. And that's what sets the stage for the entire narrative. So again, Toby is incredibly important. His His injury, his his act of loyalty, it all sets off the entire plot of this movie, really. I mean, exactly. And also, like, obviously, we find out later about No Name's, like, his past and one of the reasons he seems to be drawn to protecting Kataro anyways, which is, uh, it kind of shocked me. I gotta say, that flashback did shock me. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I knew it was gonna be something, like, dark, <laughs> but I wasn't expecting it to be as dark as it was, which I was like, Good job. Good work. That was a good narrative choice. But yeah, I mean, the one thing they also don't do, and maybe this is me again overthinking, is they don't, I don't, didn't really understand what the green, uh, that gem was. Like, it just, like, I was like, I knew it was important, but it's like not that important. Like, it doesn't seem like it has a lot of value. It's, it's your quintessential MacGuffin. You don't I mean, see the a, MacGuffin. I thought the MacGuffin could be just anything they're searching for. Even I don't know. But, you know, it's an item that sets the stage for the plot, and then it gets used at the very end with a payoff. So Yeah, like a MacGuffin's what, like, is obviously famously is in uh, Pulp Fiction of, like, what's in the suitcase. Like, no one knows what's in the suitcase. And obviously no one's ever revealed, like, who's worked on that movie revealed what it was. I suspect none of the actors actually knew. And then Quentin Tarantino clearly has an idea of what it is, but it will never say it. And it probably changed over the years, to be completely honest. I'm sure there's people who threw out ideas and he was like, that's better than what I had in mind. Either way, it's, it's an item that kind of just sets the stage for everything. So we get, we get these Bondy moments. I thought the relationship between um, Kotaro and No Name, again, it's Lone Wolf and Cub. They start off as kind of... Uh, maybe not enemies, but, you know, there's some hostility between them before, you know. Uh, it's just trust, right? I mean, like, I come from, like, coming from Kataro's point of view, it's like everyone's out to get him because he's been, like, I guess the I'll just skip ahead to this part. Yeah. Because it's pretty important. It's like he's been prophesized by a, I think the quote was a, a eunuch monk or a eunuch priest that he, his blood is going to, you know, can be used to create, like, immortality at a certain, like, point. And so that's why, like, the Ming Chinese warriors are after him because they want to kill him, drain him of his blood, and then, like, I assume drink it so they can become immortal. It's some, like, sacrifice. And, like, the thing is, it's like, he's obviously, you know, can't trust anyone because, you know, he's being chased and people are being threatened and, you know, if they don't tell him, well, if people like don't tell them where this, you know, where they are, like the kid is, they'll be killed. And so I get the whole paranoia of just like 
he's kind of on his own until he meets No Name. Again, this the prophecy is whack because yeah, the the emperor is trying to gain immortality. Although we never actually meet the emperor, we only see his underlings. I kind of like that. I like that. Like he does, it doesn't get that far. Like we didn't have some like egregious monologue where the emperor is talking about why he needs to live forever, and you're just sort of like rolling your eyes while it's happening. It's just like no, a lot of these people are just like you know, they're just doing what they're told. Like they're just like. You know, they're hired guns. They're just like, hey, I'm just doing what I've, you know, been asked to do. I'm just trying to make my paycheck. And, like, that in itself, like, leads to some, like, pretty, like, harsh consequences for other people. Like, I don't know, like, when you jump ahead to, like, the monks that initially, you know, Katara thinks are his friends who are, you know, end up trying to turn on him. And, like, you basically are like, we're giving you to the Ming warriors. I think it's just the fact that so many of these characters have like conflicting ambitions and goals. Like, you know, we have Lo Lang who doesn't really care about the mission. You know, he, he gets more into the fact that, you know, he just wants to fight Nanashi. Um, we have, we have Shogun Dori, who again, he's got his own thing. He wants to be a, the ruler of an independent country basically. And then we've got um, the, the main underling we see under, um, Fuck, what's his name? Mole? Yeah, we, uh, no, we have Master Bailan, who's working for the Emperor, but again, he just he wants to see this ambition out just for his own sake. He's just kind of interested about the whole concept of immortality or whatever. I don't know. And of course, you know, the monks, they have their own thing. And then we have the um, the ill-fated lord who who decides to to capture Kotaru for his own gain and then gets fucked up in a pretty entertaining way himself. <laughs> Like yeah. again, it's that I think that's kind of the thing about this movie. It's just everyone has these goals; they're just conflicting, and it just you know it it does not end well for uh, anyone except for our heroes. That's all I had to say. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I mean it's like all this war path for like this crazy thing, and like at no point no one's questioning like, hey, does this make any sense? I mean, I well as I say it out loud, I know there's a couple people. I think it's like the townspeople are going like huh, like, what is he, the immortality? Like, does that even matter? Or, like, can that actually be done? And they're just like, I don't know. Like, we're just doing what we're told. And, like, there's, like, this whole big structure that's being built that, like, has to be made out of, uh, like, cedar wood and needs to be, like, done at a certain point. It kind of looks like a bit of a statue. Like, it was sort of, like, it kind of looks like a person, this structure, but it's not. Uh, Yeah, but, I mean, like, that's not really what's important about this. Like, the whole importance is like obviously no name and kataro uh bonding and like basically both kind of like you know kataro is learned or not learned but like kataro learns how to ride a horse thanks to no name and like no name kind of is able to like open up a little bit more and obviously like his big thing is that he won't unseethe or unsheath yeah i think it's unsheath his sword because he like won't use his sword for good reason, because uh, let's just jump around. Um, his backstory is um, pretty fucked up, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> just say the least. I mean, it's like exactly that. It's. Uh, I mean, do you want to say it or should I say? It? Uh, you, let's let's have you do it. Yeah. Well, it's that you know um, at the very end of the movie, like there's like this big fight sequence, and we see this flashback of like No Name, and he's working like he's a ro- well, he's a Ronin. But he's like clearly like this was like in some sort of war times, and uh, he's uh, commanded to go and uh, execute these two children, and he does it because he's like you know he's being told to. There's like a big crowd around him, 
Uh, and like that, like decision to actually go through with it and kill the two kids. And like, you don't see it obviously, <laughs> but you hear it. Like you hear like, you know, the one kid go like, just do it already, you coward. And then you like see like you want that one kid get killed. And then this other kid who's like younger and crying, you just kind of hear like the sword and like the, you know, that death. And you can tell like that obviously traumatized him. That's one of the you know reasons he doesn't do what he does anymore. That's why he's no name and he kind of just wandering because he was serving under a warlord and he like was forced to commit atrocities that like clearly he should have stood up for and like changed. But he did it anyways. And that's kind of like his atonement is like, I got to keep Kataro safe. Like that's mm-hmm. like, that's kind of gives him purpose again. Because before that, he's just wandering around. Like when we first mean, or not mean, when we first meet No Name in this abandoned temple where like Kataro's hiding out and he's just like sleeping there. Like he does like no reason to be anywhere. He's just kind of there, like wandering the land, doing probably odd jobs, just like waiting to die. So this gives him that purpose in life. The first confrontation we have between No Name and Lo Lang when it's on the bridge. It's just so fantastic. I love it. And then you also have, um, there's a fisherman underneath the bridge who's just trying to catch a fish. Again, I don't know. The, the set pieces in this movie are just so fun. I like the cutaways to different, like, like village people where, like, you have people who are, like, clearly this is all happening when, like, areas where people are living. Like, there's another one, like, uh, if you know, like, that just reminded me of, like, there's these two kids and they're playing this, like, top game. And like, there's one of the tops of spinning, and I just kept being like, "Ah, that's feudal uh, Beyblades." <laughs> I don't know why. I was like, the, my my first thought was like, "Ah, feudalism Beyblades." F- feudal Beyblades, um, maybe. Now that's maybe the Beyblades prequel I'd like to see. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh Beyblade. Yeah, Shog- Shogun Itadori, who I found to be a pretty fun character. Again, he's this honorable dude. Well, who does like a pretty pretty. We're we're jumping around, but I love the moment in the movie where um Lord this Lord he gets captured for betraying the Chinese and he's held hostage, and so uh, Shogun Itadori you know is confronted with this situation and they're just like hey we got your Lord held hostage what are you gonna do and he orders his right hand man to just kill him and he's just like all right guys are you gonna follow me or your your dead Lord I thought that was again the violence in this movie is just so <laughs> shocking and fun so yeah. It's just a badass moment, and it's just like, shit, man, I'd follow the Shogun for that. Well, yeah, because it shows just how serious they are, and, like, they're really on this, like, war path, right? They're like, we gotta get the kid, we gotta, like, have this prophecy, because that's the other thing, is, like, Lo Lang, I feel like I'm saying his name wrong, but I'm going going with it, and kind of keeps referring, like, when we see him, he's just like, if we don't get this done, like, we can't leave for another year. So, like, this, because it's all about an elixir or mortality, or immortality, that's keeping him on this mission or whatever. And he's like, I can't leave if we don't do this. I don't know. I'm just kind of jumping around, but we're, we're kind of jumping around. There's also, of course, probably the biggest moment where, um, Kotaro, he meets up with, with, um, master Sean again. And then he's betrayed and, uh, captured by the, by the Chinese. And then we have this confrontation where, um, no name runs into Sean and he doesn't kill him. He just cuts, uh, his holy, um, garb off and then we later uh see that sean has killed himself that was a shocking moment i didn't like the like the suicide where it's just like yeah this other monk uh because it's the two monks that betrayed toro after he like he you know basically 
finds himself back there. Because at the beginning, the monks are like, here, take this gem. You can sell it. Like, you go hide. Run away and hide. Uh, and then, like, when he returns, they've already betrayed him. But, yeah, I do like – because, like, the other thing is before uh, he kills him, Sean kills himself, um, or Sean, uh, is that he and No Name have this, like, big, like, battle of words where he's just like, you would do what I did. Like, I was just scared. Like, I, you know – you you you're coward. I see it in you. We're like the same, and um, and no name. Just you know, kind of. There's that understanding of like he did do something that he regrets, but at the same time, he's like, you know, now in the like the moment of truth, he's like, I'm gonna actually make that right. Whereas you know, with Sean, he ends up uh, not being able to live with the guilt of betraying Kataru, so he hangs himself from a tree. And it's a brutal image. Like you do see it. Like it's just like he is. But well, we don't see him like hang himself specifically. I mean, no, we don't, we don't see him actually go and commit the act of uh, hanging. Uh, but we do see the aftermath. So tr- yeah. I, I guess trigger warning. This this movie has a lot of trigger warnings. I mean, you know, dead children, um, just constant uh, murder for one thing. I don't know. <laughs> There's a thing of yeah, with trigger warning sometimes where I'm just like. You, this is a movie called Sword of the Strangers, so expect uh, sword-related murders. Yeah, and also just, uh, you know, dogs in distress. Thankfully, thank God the dog survives. I mean, I could not have taken this movie if that's how it opened. It showed restraint in that regard. Yeah, well, also, like, part of, like, the whole lone wolf and cub sort of mythos uh, is that, you know, they usually have an animal as um, an accompaniment. I think in the past it's been like a horse, but like this time they like made it a dog, which works really well for this movie. Oh fuck! It's, this is so weird. We're, we're used to having such long episodes, um, but all I can really say is like I really enjoyed this movie. Um, this movie didn't have like you know, I mean, this isn't like a one piece movie where there's like problematic stuff. I just like it, you know. I mean, what else can we say? I mean, the confrontation between um no name and low lang is fucking badass like i don't know this is um hard to describe i mean the music that plays during the during the the big climax i've got stuck in my head it's just this very nice you know classical music suiting the samurai style you know what this feels like this movie like i could easily see like a studio trying to do like a live action version of this and it would work really well like you could really you could make this like this could have been a live action movie, right? Like it just this again, there's nothing too fantastical about it. But like the fact that they did decide to make this animated and like it still works incredibly well. And I mean, you know, it looks gorgeous. I mean, the the action scenes, like I said, are absolutely stunning. It's like, okay, this is this is why this is a movie. Yeah, like they, I'm glad this wasn't something that they're like, well, we're, you know, like this is from what Bones? Yeah, the Bones company Bones. They make a lot of stuff. And, they make know, a lot of stuff that, like, they could have, like, I could have seen them been like, yeah, we'll try to make this into, a, like, a TV show. Like, we'll do, like, 15, 20-episode arc on this. And, like, you would have had a lot of filler. But here they're just like, no, we're just going like, to keep it, like, nice and concise. Like, for 102 minutes, like, this movie doesn't drag. And, like, the, probably the one thing that makes it harder to talk about, honestly, is that there's not, like, a lot of side characters. Like, we don't see a lot of like oh here's like a quick cut of like here's this random scene and like there's nothing that's like there's no like super funny parts and like you said there's no like problematic parts it's like just plays like in terms of like the math equation for like a you know a good movie a good script like it just all kind of works like again it's not safe by any means 
but it's almost safe if you know what I'm what I mean. Like it's just like structurally sound. It's a good product. Like I was like, I don't know, I was prepared to maybe do like a whole rant of like, how is this not I'm one of the best animated features and like at the 81st Academy Awards, which is like, you know, I've done that rant for, you know, other movies, obviously. I think infamous the uh Brother Bear outburst I had. Um, I mean, here you look at the three and best animated feature films. Wally wins, you know, that year, which is like 2008, which is very well deserved. You've got Kung Fu Panda. I mean, Kung, you know, and then you got John Travolta's Bolt. And I'm kind of going like, ah, you could have, you could have put, you could have put it in instead of Bolt. Like I had to look up what Bolt was. I forgot this movie existed. I've seen Bolt. I saw Bolt as a, you know. Here's a question for you, Jack. Uh, in terms of, because it's about a cute dog that has, yeah. I guess, superpowers. Okay, who's who's the, the cuter animated dog from 2008? Toby you, or Bolt? You know, Toby will fuck people up if they cross you. So but I'm Bolt's gonna... got superpowers and voiced by <laughs> John I Travolta. Think, I think Toby could beat up Bolt because like John... Bolt is going to be like, I've seen the movie Bolt. He's like a Hollywood pup. So he doesn't actually have superpowers. He's an actor dog. He's, he's a dog who thinks he has superpowers, but then realizes he doesn't because he's acting in a show. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't, for, I didn't know that because I never watched it. I'm shocked at how well I remember the premise of the movie Bolt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Toby is, Toby is a dog who uh, doesn't have superpowers, but he actually is trained to, you know, fuck Samurai up. He'll grab Bolt by the throat. It's going to be no contest. <laughs> <laughs> would be pretty it would be uh very unpleasant to watch both getting his ass handed to him it's like not even ass it would just be like i mean toby acts like a real fucking uh dog would like again he like goes for the throat and you know he bites and you know he can look cute later but no when toby attacks Actually, the, the the cutest moment that toby was in the movie was uh at the very end where like toby's like kataro's like strung up he's about to be sacrificed like he's you know, he's at the top of the structure and like for for whatever reason, I think Toby's sort of like been pushed and he's like clawing to the side, but he's like holding on to it. Like he's actually got like almost like grip to hold up, stay on the platform. Uh, like he's about to pull himself up at any moment. I don't know why, but there was just like almost like this adorable thing of like, you know, like you see those TikTok videos of like dogs, like kind of falling off like a bed or something or trying to jump up. That's what I got. I didn't find that adorable because I was worried Toby was going to die. I was like, oh, fuck. Because again, <laughs> fall damage. <laughs> well, this movie does not fuck around. Well, cats land on their feet. Dogs don't. Cats, yeah. Cats always land on their feet. Dogs don't. So, yeah. No, that, that would have been brutal if they were just like, yeah, and then he fell to his death. <laughs> I, there, I, there was a part of me that thought Toby was going to like sacrifice himself. Like, I, I was, gonna... I mean, the movie's pretty brutal. I was very much for that but thankfully uh he makes it alive no this actually has a happy ending like it's it's again if you're following that like lone cub and wolf sort of storyline like it's sort of like a no-brainer that this ending came to be the way it was but like the fact that you know basically at the very end no name he you know he has his big final confrontation with uh lolang he kills lolang but he's like brutally wounded but like you know kataro and Toby are able to like rescue him and they're just like on a horse and they're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to live life. Like, man, maybe we'll like be thieves or maybe we'll be bodyguards. They're like, there's, you know, all this stuff. Meanwhile, no name's just like kind of just like 
just moaning in pain on the back of a horse. I mean, no name could very well be dead at this point, but uh, the movie doesn't say so. So it is like a happy ending. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing. No name could easily be dead. And like, obviously, Katara is a child and there's like a bit of like, you know, that innocence of just like not accepting, you know, no name's fate. But I want to believe I want to live in a world. No name survived. And Toby, the dog, uh, kicks Bolt's ass. Let's do it. Let's already get to it. Let's get to <laughs> let's get to our favorite part of uh, this podcast. Let's talk speedwagons, folks. Uh, cue the music, Sasha. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert EO Speedwagon. So for those just joining in, the Speedwagon is our favorite supporting character in the movie. Um, I think it goes without saying. I know this is kind of a cheat, but this movie has only like seven characters. It's obviously Toby. Yeah, I was going to say it's the same for me. There's like no one else um, that really competes. I thought about like maybe like if I wanted to like really stretch it out, um, that fisherman that you were mentioning. I don't know. I like Toby enough. Like Toby... You know, obviously he doesn't say a line. He's not a talking dog like Bolt eye roll emoji, if I know if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> but it just, yeah, he's just adorable. What can I say? Also, above, before I forget, there are some fun, like, heavy characters. Not just, like, Lo Lang, who's obviously a badass. But also, like, we have, like, the two sisters. Um, they're not exactly the most well-developed characters, but they are badass. And, you know, they have some cool action beats. We also have... Um, uh, the Shogun's assistant, his like right hand man, who gets who kills one of the sisters and is then promptly killed by the other one himself in a, yeah. in a very brutal fashion. But you know, we there are some like fun characters who have some fun action scenes. I mean, that's everyone in this movie is very good at fighting, and the people who aren't uh, get fucked up in some pretty glorious ways. Yeah, I mean, there was like what other kind of side characters? There was that old man who gets interrogated. And I, I did like there's like that line where because like there's like that trope where like, you know, you get the detective or someone or like, you know, the person trying to like extort the old man and they're just yelling. And it's like, you fucking old man, just tell me what I want to know. And, you know, instead, you you know, you got a guy who's like, my memory is failing me. You know, yelling at me is not going to work. <laughs> I, like, I like that they actually use that line, like yelling at me is not going to work. Although then he like immediately sees that there's like smoke coming from the abandoned temple up the hill. And he's like, oh, they might be over there, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Because if they had just turned around, they would have seen it. And I mean, there's also the Beyblade kids. And <laughs> Beyblade kids. The feudal Beyblade kids. <laughs> Final thoughts on this movie. This is such a sh- this is like the shortest episode we've done in forever. But I don't know. I like Sword of the Stranger. It's a good movie. You should watch it. This is, yeah, this was fu- this is a good watch. I wish there was more to talk about. Like I feel like I w- wish I could like contribute to the conversation about this movie more. Like I wish I had more of a nuanced perspective on it. Uh, but I thought this was just like a really well done version of the Lone Wolf and Cub story. If you're just looking for something to put on where you're like, this is going to be solid, like I give this like a B plus, right? It's not going to be something that like personally will make like, you know, like if say we have a retrospective of this whole podcast, like this isn't going to be a movie that like makes it onto my list of like, wow, that's one of the best things we ever covered here. Uh, but at the same time, it's not terrible or bad by any means. It's just just works really well for what it is. Solid movie. Watch it. But, like, don't expect, like, you know, 
mind-blowing things. It's it's just a really competent lone wolf and cub movie. And again, like, you know, the action is fucking awesome. Like, it's memorable action, and that's what I'm going to take from it. That and Toby. So, oh, and my cat, my cat heard me say his name, too, so. <laughs> Ooh, perfect timing. He recognizes that, too. So, yeah, what what can I say? I mean... I wish I could have said more about this too, but it's a very competent movie. So if you're if you're yeah. listening to this it does, podcast, yeah, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but at least in terms of action, it's very well done. There's not much more to say. This has like been a pretty quiet, tame episode compared to some of the the last few that we've done, and I like it. I like this is like uh like this movie. This is a bit of a uh, palate cleanser, if you will. Let's get into plugs. I mean, all right, you you guys know if you've listened to this podcast before, you can find me at. Uh, Jack is Jack on Instagram, only real Jack M on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Malcolm R. J. McLeod on Instagram and uh, at Malcolm R. J. McLeod on Twitter. Not very active on Twitter, if at all. Uh, you can follow this podcast at Is This Anime Pod on Twitter and Instagram. If you uh, enjoyed this and you know, tell your friends, uh, word of mouth helps a small podcast like us out. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Spotify recently added a star system. So please... Uh, give us some stars. Give us some love. Uh, share your friend. Uh, share this podcast with your friends. This is obviously something that works for noobs and weebs alike. Uh, that's the whole premise of this podcast. Uh, and anyways, yeah, leave a review if you're listening to this on Apple. Give us some stars. Leave a, a review. If there's anything you want us to cover, uh, send us a message. Uh, it's, it's really helped uh, inform what we've covered on this show uh, as of late. And uh Love to hear it, so keep on sending suggestions. Uh, anyways, uh, I think that about wraps it up. I think that about does it for us uh, this week. Uh, have a great week. And uh, remember, in the words of Vanilla Ice, go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja, go ninja, go. This movie's about a Ronin. Bye. <laughs> L- later, Power Bottoms. Power Bottoms.